Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we're in this together, and thankfully, we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, every person in a family wants to feel loved and wants to be able to show love to others who they care about and appreciate. And while that concept may seem simple, the execution can be surprisingly complicated as not everyone gives and receives love in the same way. Some may desire reassuring physical touch while another person enjoys compliments, encouragement, and other words of affirmation. Still, others may feel most loved when they receive gifts uh, from their family members or if their family members do acts of service for them, cooking, cleaning, picking up the dry cleaning, or fixing something that might help that other person. Some prefer quality time. Perhaps you recognize your love language in all of these and the love languages of others in your family. Things get convoluted and well-intentioned people miss the mark when they, for instance, value acts of service but their partner or children show love through quality time or words of affirmation. Not to mention this can be hard enough in a family that hasn't gone through life-altering changes like divorce, remarriage, or death of a parent. But what about the blended family? Who has to navigate step-parents, step-siblings, step-grandparents, and all of the nuances and needs and rules and emotions and concerns and ways all of these different people want to feel valued and important? Blended families must deal with the pain of the past, the complexities of a new relationship, and the unique challenges that come with creating one family. As parents and step-parents, how can we have these important conversations about fear, loss, inclusion, empathy, connection, and tie those binds between the biological family members and the new family members? How do we find love, strengthen it, and keep it going in that step family. For these answers, I have the honor of having a wonderful conversation with our guest today, Ron L. Deal. Now, Ron L. Deal is one of the most widely read and viewed experts on blended families in the country. He is the founder of Smart Step Families, director of Family Life Blended for Family Life, and the author of numerous books on step family living, including the best-selling The Smart Step Family. He is also the consulting editor for the Smart Family series, the Smart Step Family series of books. Ron is a licensed marriage and family therapist, popular speaker, and host of Family Life Blended. He and his wife, Nan, have three sons and live in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
his newest book, Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart, was co-written with best-selling author Gary Chapman, known for his breakthrough work in The Five Love Languages. You can find out more about Ron and his work with step families at rondeal.org. That's R-O-N-D-E-A-L.org. I want to thank you, Ron, and welcome you to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you, Robin. It really is an honor to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so very much. So before we get in the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity and pleasure to meet you or read any of your eight books, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in investigating and understanding how to build strong and loving blended families? Mm, wow, that's a great question. It goes back for me uh, about 30 years ago when uh, straight out of college, my first job was a uh, youth pastor. Mm. I was working with teenagers and um, of course they had a variety of family situations and Um, Some of them were more complex than others, and some kids were living in single-parent homes and blended family homes. And, you know, I just tried to be helpful to them. And what I learned really fast, Robin, and I imagine you can relate to this at some level, is I didn't know enough about the family or about the context in which they lived to really be helpful for them. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go back to graduate school and study marriage and family therapy. And the whole time I was in graduate school, I kept thinking about these kids that um, I couldn't quite understand what was going on in their world, like why did they act the way they acted, and some of those things. And, and they would tell me stories about life in their complex family home, and I just didn't get it. And it was in graduate school that I really began to put things together, connect the dots. And so after graduate school, I just said, you know, I really want to dedicate my life, not just being a therapist, but more, even more importantly, I've spent more time over the last 30 years doing prevention and enrichment and education of couples and families. And I really want to help kids in single parent homes, kids that have gone through difficult transitions, loss of a parent, divorced parents, what have you, and kids in step family homes. And so I found myself over and over again working in those situations, started teaching and talking about it. I uh, wrote my first book in the early 2000s. And uh, it's just taken off from there. The need is really great. That's true. The need is really great because families are all different these days. And many people are going through so many different transitions. Towards the beginning of your book, you say mature love is selfless in nature. It serves Mm -hmm. and considers the needs of others first. Being loved in this way, in a consistent manner, is life-changing for both children and adults. So first, let's talk about the love languages, what they are and how they apply to all families, but particularly the importance and challenge they provide for blended families. Yeah, you know, I think embedded in that statement you just read is being loved and knowing how to love others. Mm -hmm. Um, Gary Chapman wrote The Five Love Languages now, what, 25 years ago, the original book, and it is still a top 10 <laughs> number mm-hmm. one, New York Times number one seller all around the world it's in 40 languages at this point. Why is that? Well, because it fundamentally gets at something that I think is just foundational to all relationships. And that is, if you want to love well, you have to lose yourself. Mm. You have to be willing to say, well, I'm more comfortable loving you this way, but you're more comfortable receiving love that way. Mm. And how do I set aside what I think 
love should look like and how do I sacrifice, love, serve, whatever words you want to use in order to connect to you in a way that's meaningful and really communicates the care that I feel. And I think that's foundationally what the five love languages teaches us. Yes, there's a strategy, there's a method, yeah, there's five languages you can think about which category do you fit in. But when you get underneath that, what's really happening is that I'm learning to set aside me and love my wife, my child, my friend, whoever it is, in a way that is really meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So having said that, you know, now we can talk about what the love languages are mm-hmm. and, and what and, and, and but the bottom line is they all communicate in a way that's unique and special. Um, the, the idea of language, like if, if we were to go to China right now and, and people would want us to speak Mandarin, if we really wanted mm-hmm. to fit into the culture and, and make relationships that were meaningful to us and them, we probably need to learn the language. Um, we could find our way through by talking with English and uh, my, you know, whatever's choppy and they understand a little but not a lot. But boy, you start speaking their language and their faces light up and their hearts beat a little faster. Well, that's what this concept is. And it says something to those to to the other person when you're saying I'm I'm going to learn your language. I am not demanding that you learn mine so that I feel more comfortable. That's that selflessness coming through in how I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us a little bit about those love languages. Yeah. So words of affirmation. I mean, that's really about um, compliments, kind things that you say to someone about who they are. You're expressing their value to you. Acts of service. Um, this is doing stuff for them. Let me tell you, my wife lights up when I empty the dishwasher without mm-hmm. her having to remind me or ask me to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very simple thing, but it's that. something yeah. I know takes it off her to-do list. That's a way of expressing love to her. Mm-hmm. Quality time. Um, quality time is just time with, with some substance to it. Uh, it. It varies by person. What is a definition of quality time? And we can talk about dialects here in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, it's just being with it doesn't really count, I think, if you're beside. Well, that's not true. For men, they can, you know, guy friendships are, are uh, can be expressed with just doing things beside each other. Mm-hmm. We're playing a game together. We're out fishing together. We, you know, we don't res- really have to be looking at each other, but we can just be beside each other. And that counts in those kinds of relationships. Uh, giving gifts is number four. And Gary Chapman is very quick to point out that uh, giving gifts doesn't have to have a dollar amount to it. Yes, sometimes it does. Sometimes it's a, a lot. Sometimes it's a little. But you can give a kid a rock and go, well, and good say, point. You, know, you know what? I you know, was, saw this rock today and it made me think of you because this reminded me of a quality about you that I really love. I've actually given my kids leaves, you know, said on a walk. Oh, I saw this beautiful red leaf, and I thought you'd love it. And they do, they do they react do. quite do. quite a lot. Yes, that's excellent. And then the last one is physical touch, um, a touch on the arm, holding hands, a big hug. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here's the thing: all relationships have varying degrees of all of these things. Mm-hmm. Every relationship needs all of them. Let's just talk about husbands, wives, parents, and children for a second. Our kids, from the time they're born, need all five of these, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, we should, as husbands and wives, think of you know ways of expressing all five of these on a regular basis. But most people have one that is primary. 
Sometimes it's a one and two are really close. Um, for example, my wife, quality times, number one, acts of service is number two, but sometimes I think they're switched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so your primary love language is that thing that really, really, really touches your heart. Mm-hmm. For me, it's words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yesterday, I went in, sat down with my wife, and uh, she said, you know, I just listened to your latest podcast. We, we do a podcast called Family Life Blended that really dives into deep subjects for, for blended families. She said, I just listened to your latest podcast. It was really nice. Mm. And, you know, I just lit up, you know. It's, it's like, wow, that really meant something to me. Mm-hmm. Now, she could have very easily at that very same moment, she could have leaned over and touched me on the hand or on the shoulder and just said, good job. Mm-hmm. Um, coupled it with a physical touch. But you know what would have really meant the most to me is the words, mm-hmm. not the touch. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just me. And the trick is the people you love finding out what their love language, that primary one is. So when you really want it to count, you know what to go to. Mm-hmm. So meaningful. I I did this with my husband yesterday. I, I was actually shocked by the results of of mine because I'm very much somebody who cooks for people and like loves doing that. Um, but when I realized for myself that I had a tie between words of affirmation and physical touch, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were primary. They were both primary. And then um, my husband had quality time and physical touch. Mm. But interestingly, here we are in this COVID-19 circumstance. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, the way that we're connecting with people, we, I'm typically somebody who would love to hug people and can't do any of that. My husband and I are in this house with our two kids and things get crazy. And honestly, I mean... You know, it's the physical touch has kind of gone out the window for the last couple of weeks because we're just like, oh, my gosh, I need alone time. But then Mm. at the same time, that's not being sort of satiated. So I'm wondering if you can speak to the COVID-19 circumstance right now and Mm. how that plays a role in in how we're dealing with our love languages and what advice you might have. Yes, I think there are circumstances and situations where we need to apply some wisdom about whether we go to that love language or not. So for example, during this COVID crisis, just as you mentioned, um, you're with your husband all the time, maybe a little too much, Mm -hmm. maybe. um, And yet, even within this um, stay at home uh, climate, there may be moments where you do long for a physical touch connection, Definitely. just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix and holding hands. Mm-hmm. Like that's Absolutely. a moment where you're drawn to it. You're open to it. But at the same time, you may need some other space uh, every other moment. I, let me just say this about stress. I think stress does put us in a different category. I've heard some Every once in a while, I hear somebody say, well, here's my best marriage advice. In the middle of a conflict, you need to just stop and hold hands and, and look each other in the eyes. Well, you, you know what? <laughs> I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Uh, because even if your husband's love language is physical touch, mm-hmm. in the middle of a conflict may not be the time <laughs> yeah, to activate Yeah, I would say not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right. that in that moment, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. It, it's 
it, it's not fitting in this moment. Mm. Hear the love languages for what they're meant to be. It's not an end-all be-all. This doesn't fix everything in life. This doesn't repair every conflict you ever have. This is just when you want to communicate love and care in a way that's deeply meaningful to the person. It just is a guide to help you to know what the bullseye is. Mm. You know, there's concentric circles on a bullseye. You can hit the third concentric circle. You could do something acts of service, and that still matters. It's still helpful. But if you really want to hit the bullseye, you're going to go for physical touch because that's mm. their primary mm. love language. Fascinating that my both my husband and myself both had a zero for gift giving. Isn't that interesting? I'm just just not meaningful to either one of us. And we have let a lot of the gift giving go when it comes to going between the two of us. But I, and I always felt a little guilty. Like I feel like I should be doing more gift giving. And it turns out maybe not actually, because that is just not the way that we prefer to be uh, loved. We and isn't that beautiful to else. know? Yeah. Isn't that beautiful to know that you can relax yes. when it comes to gift giving for him? <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? It, yes, it helps you rethink us. birthdays and, 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 you know, like anniversaries and what. Like, I learned real early. Here's my story about that with my wife. We've been married for 34 years. And real early, I had this idea that. Well, when we were dating and then early married and we were broke and going through college, I would give her one red rose mm. when I wanted to just say, I love you. But then I thought, I got to give her a dozen because that's what everybody does, right? You're supposed to give mm. a dozen. Well, I learned really fast that annoyed my wife mm. uh, because that was too much money, yeah. right? She's too frugal for that. Mm. So no, 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 no. If you really want to give a gift that matters, give her what she wants, not what I think she should want. Oh. Now, let me let me say that again, because this is the funny part where we have to die to ourselves a little bit. I think she ought to like having a dozen roses. So which am I going to assert? What I think she should want or what she wants? Mm. What a beautiful way of thinking about love and be such mm -hmm. an important aspect of really understanding what the other person needs. Like, I love a really great hug. Uh, yes. I think my brother is just like such an incredible hugger. So whenever I see him and he gives like, he just like envelops you. I'm mm. like, you, you kind of just like relax into it. I'm like, that is awesome. You know, that yeah. is just an incredible way that he shows his love to other people. And our family, like I said, is very huggy. And I just appreciate that so much more than somebody coming in with a, with a gift or you know, something of that sort. So I just find that so interesting. And it, it did illuminate a lot for me. Now for for blended families that can have specific challenges, like you talked about in your book, like loyalty conflicts, when members of like the new family unit might be wondering if they're still loved the same way, if the new spouse or kids are loving, are being loved more, if the new life is loved more than the old one. As everybody wants to be loved and feel valued, as we're talking about in this book, the family dynamics can be very challenging. Yeah. And you have, you provided some groupings like insiders, which are the biological family members, and the outsiders, the step family members. And this is when these love languages really need to come into play. So how can we use the love languages to help bridge the gap between blended family members? And what pitfalls should we be aware of so that we don't step on somebody's love language, as you put it in the book, unknowingly sort of violating trust and their heart? 
Okay, let's talk around this because it's really important. It's a very insightful question. Um, here's a fundamental difference about blended families versus biological families. In a biological family, mom, dad raising their kids that they've had together, um, the relationships have clear definition between parents and children, between mom and dad, and all the relationships support all the other relationships. What I mean by that is there's there's not a competition between them. So if dad walks in one day and says, honey, I'm going to go spend some time with the kids this afternoon. Are you okay with that? She's going to go, oh, absolutely. I'm okay with that. Does she feel left out? Does she feel neglected? She, does she go back to her room and think, oh my goodness, my husband loves our kids more than he loves me? No. <laughs> because in the in the typical course of life, now there there are extreme situations where uh, a father like that would only spend time with his kids 24-7 and never invest any time in his wife. I'm not talking about that. But in the general course of life, she feels really good about his time with them. Mm-hmm. In a step family, where the relationships are ambiguous on day one, mm. where we are trying to bring definition to who we are as a family. I tell people all the time, coupleness is what you created before you got married. Familiness is what you're now trying to create after you got married. Mm, mm, mm. And those are two totally different things. Just because you're a couple doesn't mean you're a family. And you now embark on this journey of becoming family to one another. And by the way, on average, it takes blended families somewhere between five to seven years on average to figure this out, to see where I've put you in my heart, to make room for you as a new person in my heart. I have a dad. Now I have a stepdad. How do I do this as a child? So that is a journey that takes some time. While we're in this journey of going from ambiguity to definition, I'm wrestling as a parent, as a step-parent, as a child, um, with, you know, how do I express love and how do I do that in a way that doesn't compete with other relationships? So just imagine all of a sudden bio dad is saying to his wife, stepmom, Hey, look, I'm going to go spend some time with the kids this afternoon. And it's different for her. Cause mm. she's like, wow, I am so trying to bond with your kids. And it just feels like every time you spend time with them without me, it gets a little harder mm. for me. Mm. And, and oh, by the way, it seems like you're more comfortable with your children than you are with me. Because yesterday when I was trying to get Susie to clean the kitchen, you didn't stand up for me. Mm. You, you kind of took her side. And so it feels like I'm an outsider. There's that term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're over there with the insiders. And I'm competing to belong. Mm, mm. So now... If uh, dad is doing the love language thing with his kids and stepmom is watching that going, I so wish I could be a part of this. <laughs> or maybe, she, you know, her husband tells her, look, you know, my daughter's love language is acts of service. Just go do something for her. It'll really make a difference. Or maybe it's physical touch. Let's use that example. Mm-hmm. My daughter's love language is physical touch. So stepmom goes, okay, I'm giving that giant hug. I heard Robin on their podcast <laughs> about her brother giving an <laughs> awesome hug. I'm going to do that. And she tries it, and that 13-year-old young lady bristles Mm -hmm. and goes, get away from me. Mm. And stepmom's baffled, like, but this is the love language. This is the target. This is supposed to work, but it didn't work. Well, it didn't work because she's trying to figure out where to put you in her heart. She feels a little disloyal to her biological mom in that moment. Mm -hmm. She's a little fearful. Wow, if my mom saw me hugging you, I don't know how she'd feel about this. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'm not sure I trust you, stepmom. I like you. I kind of love you. In moments, I love you. 
and the other moments I don't love you. I really don't know what to do with this. That's mm. the ambiguity. And so it's hard. It's just not as easy as it is when you have clearly defined biological relationships. Mm. So the whole nature of this book is to help parents and step-parents understand what's going on below the surface. Here's what's going on with kids. Here's what's going on between the, in the little triangle between husband, wife, and children. And we want to help you make sense of that and know how to gently apply the love languages with wisdom. So this is where partly where the dialects come in and partly where the the sort of levels come in like it may not be a big bear hug for somebody who is not quite ready for that but maybe a sort of touch on the shoulder kind of thing maybe something a side hug i don't know something something that's not quite as intimate yeah let me define dialects and then real quick i'll give you an illustration i think i'll make it very clear for the listener Mm -hmm. um dialects are Within a love language, so for example, I was talking about my wife, one rose is, is a perfect gift, not a dozen roses, mm-hmm. that's her dialect. It's it's the uniqueness within the language that applies to her. Um, you know, if it's quality time for somebody, in the book we tell a story about a man whose first wife, her, her love language was quality time. And he was like, oh, great, that's wonderful. His second wife, um, uh, quality time, I know how to do this. Well, mm-hmm. no, he didn't. Because with his first wife, quality time meant they could sit and watch a movie together, and that counted for her. But his second wife, no, it had to be face-to-face, toe-to-toe. We had to be talking eye-to-eye, connecting with one another. That equaled quality Mm. time for her. So he had to unlearn (laughs) what he learned with his first marriage, and he had to relearn how to apply this love language in his second marriage. That, That was getting at the dialect. Now, let me give you an example if I were, let's talk a little bit about levels, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Let's just say I give you an, uh, an assignment, Robin, and the assignment is this. Um, well, if we were not in a COVID-19 <laughs> world and you had a new neighbor that just moved in two doors down, and I, my assignment to you was go make a friend. Mm-hmm. Go go meet them, welcome mm-hmm. to the neighborhood, and just be kind and, and try to make a friend out of them. Well, let me tell you what you would not do. You would not go down and bang on their door and scream at the top of your lungs, hey, I'm your new BFF, open up. <laughs> Let uh, me give you a big hug. <laughs> I've got a big hug waiting for you. <laughs> and then if, if they crack the door open like, who is this? And you shove your way through the door and you run into the living room and you go, let's have lunch. You know, where's the wine? And you, no. I mean, they're calling the cops at that point. Mm -hmm. You are going to jail. That's what's happening. That's not how you make a friend. You have to have levels of connection in order to grow it. Same thing's true for the step-parent. This is Mm -hmm. so important. You as a step-mom or a step-dad are so eager to make a friend, to build a relationship with these children. Of course you are. You have a big heart. You you want so much for your family, and you want them to feel safe with you and you to stay safe with them. But you can't bang on the door, declare your, uh, you've got a great loving relationship, and force your way into their heart. You have to, on the other hand, knock on the door and wait. You have to, uh, if they come and talk to you on the other side of the door, you have to talk through the door. Mm. Like, that's frustrating. That's really difficult. But that's what you have to do. That's how you make a friend. And then if they crack the door open after some period of time, 
um, you, you can see an eyeball. Talk to the eyeball, you know, just kind of make contact with the eyeball and find something you have in common and begin to develop some trust. Then they might open the door a little further and a little further. And, and someday, maybe, maybe they'll invite you in to the living room of their heart. That's how you make a friend. So if this 13-year-old young lady's love language is physical touch, she loves hugs from her dad and all her other family, but she bristles when you try to give her a hug, then start with level one, stand on the doorstep and gently knock. And that looks like, I don't know, a fist bump or a Mm -hmm. compliment and a touch on the elbow. And you let it go. That's all you can do. Mm Mm-hmm. And you just let that ride and you fast forward some time and eventually you try one of those little shoulder to shoulder bump things where you're sitting in a booth in a restaurant and you you find a moment to have a little more physical touch or it's a playful touch where, you know, everybody's wrestling on the living room floor or you're playing a game and you kind of push her on the shoulder. Oh, that was a good move. Way to go. Mm-hmm. And someday you're going to give her a bear hug, but that's only when she has invited you into that space. So if you, you had mentioned just a little bit ago, like if there is a feeling of loyalty, um, a loyalty issue mm-hmm. that's going on where that child feels like, wait a second, I'm kind of like liking being with this person, but I feel like when I'm with her or if I do receive a playful, you know, touch from her that I'm being disloyal to my, my my mother in this case. Is there a conversation that needs to happen between certain people in that dynamic or do you let it ride? How do you handle that? You know, I think it's a very mature step parent who recognizes that little lo- loyalty conflict going on inside a child. And, um, you know, you talk to your spouse about this and try to get a come to a consensus about whether or not it's a good thing for you to say this. Maybe it's the biological parent who says this. Mm. But, you know, to say to a 13 year old on the way to school one day before you drop them off, you have three minutes in the car to just say, you know, I, I just want you to know I really care for you and I appreciate our relationship. And I know we're figuring this out. Mm. And I also know this kind of is hard for you because you love your mom and I want you to know that is perfectly okay with me that is good and right that is a fabulous relationship and you I will never get in between you and your mother Mm. Um, I'm not trying to be your mom she's your mom I'm not your mom I just appreciate what we have and I know we'll figure this out and it's okay if sometimes you find it difficult to like me back Mm. Beautiful and tough. And tough. Very, very rip your heart out tough. But what a what a bridge from one heart to the other to be mm-hmm. so vulnerable and to allow such a conversation to happen between yourself and this person who you really want to like you. Yeah, Robin, there's so many things going on within that. When, when you take that initiative... Number one, you're putting words on what the child feels. I often discover, you know, a lot of kids, even teenagers, don't even really know how to put words on Mm -hmm. this, the whole Mm -hmm. thing. They're just feeling stuck, but they don't really know what to call it. And when you say you feel stuck, then they're like, yeah, that is what I feel like. Mm -hmm. And number two, you've said, I'm not competing with your relationship with your mother, which means you have permission, freedom, 
that is a good thing. I will never try to replace her. I'm not trying to be your mom. All of which helps a child see you as respectable. Mm-hmm. Because the minute they feel like you're trying to move in and push mom out of their heart, uh, you just the wall just went up a little bit higher, got a little thicker. I loved what you said in the book where you said something like, you can't fill a hole that you didn't make. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a good symbol for, for this situation. Whether you're talking about a parent that's no longer living with a child full time, okay, so the mother is living in a different house in that scenario, or if somebody died, that you're not trying to replace somebody or push them out, as you just mentioned, that you're you're trying to create a whole new relationship. And it doesn't need to be defined by those same parameters and actually should not be. So that's mm-hmm. really great. I really appreciated that conversation and those words that you were providing, because obviously on this podcast, we're all about tough conversations. One of the themes repeated throughout the book is talking about the elephant in the room, which is yeah. loss. So loss is, we're talking about loss of one's previous life, loss of a parent to death, loss of a parent to an affair, uh, loss of of time with another parent, uh, loss of what was, loss of the dream of what will be. So what do we, what do we do to sort of lay loss on the table very maturely and discuss it in the blended family so that it can be heard and empathize with so that this new blended family has a more stable foundation to move forward. I think you have to come in on the elephant in the room. Mm. When those moments arise, go ahead and bring it up. Uh, Number one, that's important just from a grieving standpoint. Let me just back up and make it a little side point here. Um, Imagine a father dies and mom and her kids survive the single parent years. They are in the foxhole of of sadness and sorrow. Mm. And they get through that period of time together. And so they are bonded. They are connected. They have been down the same road. They, they talk about dad and they miss him. And then mom kind of turns a corner and begins to have you know, interest in dating. She falls in love with a guy. And all of a sudden, the conversations around dad are far less. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the dinner table is conversations about the future, mm. not the past. And all of a sudden, we don't have family grieving anymore. Mm. And let me tell you, that is another loss for children. Mm. They need that dialogue to remember. And dad is alive and well in their heart. He is not gone. And so mom needs to be able to step into that space even after she's married. I, I, I want to look at the stepdad and go, look, buddy, here's, here's the gift you give. You really want to love your stepchildren. Let your wife and your stepchildren talk about their dad in front of you mm-hmm. and say things like, wow, he was a great guy. I really wish I could have met him. Mm-hmm. Tell me another story about it. Tell me about that one funny thing he did. And all you enter that sad place with them, and I guarantee you, they will see you as respectable, as honorable, and all of a sudden, you are somebody worthy of being uh, close to. They mm-hmm. can trust you with that hard stuff. If, on the other hand, you're like, no, I'm the man of the house now. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, <laughs> the wall just went up. It's a little taller and a little thicker, maybe a lot thicker. And now it's harder for you to bond. It's not easier. Mm -hmm. 
So entering that space, I can imagine another scenario, um, Father's Day, Mother's Day, a birthday, uh, a, a special day about mm. the person who is gone. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a, you know, dad walked out and we haven't seen him in a while. We don't, he's hit or miss in our lives, not necessarily deceased, but he's, he's around, but he's not really here. It's an ambiguous loss. Then say things like, gosh, Father's Day's coming up. Ah, I'm so sorry. I know you really want to be with him, not so much with me. And you don't even know how to contact him. I get it. This is just hard. I hate that for you. And then you stop. Don't ask a question, by the way. Here's a little parent tip. If you then ask a question, especially with teenagers, like, so how do you feel about that? They probably won't answer the question. But if you talk out loud about what you're thinking and what you're feeling, and then you put a period at the end and wait, uh, more often than not, they will contribute to the conversation it's a little tip that makes a big difference that pause is so hard by the way yes it is the, the, the not talking during that time and filling that space Oof, that is yes, tough. It is. yes it is very difficult but again the message is i'm not competing with your dad or your relationship with your dad mm-hmm. um I respect your relationship with him. I'm going to uphold that. I'm going to support that. How can I enter that space? We're acknowledging their sadness in the room. And by the way, sadness, for parents and step-parents listening, please hear this. A child's sadness about the family that was lost, the parent that died, the, the, what will never be for them, is their sadness around those things is not a rejection of you. Mm-hmm. I think step-parents really undo themselves when they think, oh my goodness, they're talking about him again, that means they'll never embrace me. No, that's not what that means. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about that person and those relationships. And you would do best to support those things, to, to uphold that, to enter into that conversation in very subtle and soft ways to encourage it. And that will show you to be somebody of honor. Let's say you're at that dinner table again. It's just the mother and the kids, the conversation is now turned from talking about their late dad and now is on the future. The mother's been talking more about her new partner. They've not yet married, but they're dating. And you know, if you were sort of an outsider looking in, if this was a movie that you're seeing that the children are suffering a bit from this shift in conversation. It's more stilted. Maybe they're rolling their eyes mm-hmm. and they're not fully participating in this. What is the conversation about this dating circumstance and this sort of newfound love of the future? Um, what is the conversation we can have about that as we know that the kids are still grieving, mm-hmm. how do we how do we bridge that gap so that the mom can still feel in this case, the dad in another case, um, whatever the partner is, mm-hmm. that that they can feel like they can talk about the future without making the kids feel like we're forgetting the past. Okay, so I wrote a whole book called Dating and the Single Parent. <laughs> it's all about this and the process of, of, of developing coupleness as a, with a dating partner and then familyness as you try to incorporate the children into the dating process mm-hmm. and how do you make decisions. Um, so I, I'm going to assume the, the future stepdad is not in the room. 
right. um, I would I would encourage that, by the way. In other words, if he was at the table, mom probably ought to wait until he's not there where she can have a conversation and the kids will be a little more honest and open. I think maybe a lot more honest and open if he's not in the room. Right. So she might say he's not sitting at the table. She might look at him and go, oh, yeah, you know, whenever we bring this subject comes up about me getting married and us becoming a new family, I kind of see your arms cross and your eyes roll a little bit. Mm-hmm. You mind putting words on that for me? Mm, mm. And then shut your mouth. Mm, the pause. It, it, the pause. And if you're going to say anything, say something like, and I really want to know, and I'm not going to be defensive, and I really want to understand what you're feeling. And then work really, really hard to create a safe climate where that whatever that child says at that point, you listen, you affirm. So it sounds like you're really angry. sounds like this makes you worried about dad. sounds like this makes you feel like dad died all over again. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're chasing that pain, that fear, that loss, whatever it is, give lift to that, sit with it a little while. And when you've hugged it for quite a while, then and only then might you say, I get that. Um, and I am thinking about moving forward with this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know that I'm listening to you, taking this into consideration. And um, at the same time, you need to know that I'm kind of serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's all about timing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tell a parent, a biological single parent in that situation, no, your kids don't decide if or when you get married. But really unwise, really, I'm just going to say the word stupid, is a parent who ignores what's going on mm-hmm. with their kid. You are undoing yourself and the potential for the blended family to actually blend. The harder it is for children to embrace the step-parent, the less likely it is your family really merges well. Mm-hmm. So, so do the due diligence. One of the things I suggest is asking what if conversations. Now imagine, you know, this is the prescription. Imagine you're a single parent and even before you start dating, you say, you know, what if what if dad started dating again? How would you guys feel if I did that? Mm. Well, that's weird, dad. I don't know. And one kid will say, that sounds like a great idea. You deserve somebody. Oh, mm-hmm. good. I appreciate that. It might happen someday. And then, then you actually identify somebody. And now the what if conversation. What if I were to ask her out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, you're not asking your kids permission. What you are doing is twofold. You're listening. You're creating an ongoing dialogue. You're bringing them into the process. So you're listening. What's their heart? What's their mind? What are they feeling today? Because it will change. Yesterday they said, go for it. And today they're going, stop. Mm -hmm. That happens. That's pretty common. But the second thing you're doing is you're informing them. (laughs) You know, I have... Uh, interests. Mm-hmm. I'm open to this. I, this might happen. You might want to start getting used to the idea that something's going to happen here. So it is a two-way street mm-hmm. in this dialogue. The what if continues over a period of months. It's a continual conversation. And then someday it's what if I were to ask her to marry me? Mm. What would that be like for us? What would change for you? What are, what are, mm-hmm. what are, what are, what are you thrilled about? What are you not thrilled about? All of that gives you information as a parent that helps you then make decisions about timing, about pace. Um, it, it, you need that. and But the most important part in all this, Robin, is you're emotionally moving toward your kids instead of running away into a new dating partner and then spouse. And you're also taking them with you. So instead of, you know, it's it's been a year of you kind of doing this uh, without having these kinds of conversations and all of a sudden they have to catch up, 
they're coming along for the ride with you. I think you yes. you mentioned in the book, it was in a different context, but I think it applies here too, that when you're dealing with a blended family, something about a slow cooker versus a blender, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the five to, five to seven years that it takes to create a family identity, it really helps if you have a good mentality about how to how to cook the ingredients of your family together. And you don't want to do it with a blender. I mean, I know we call them blended families, but don't use a blender because blenders have blades. Mm. <laughs> they cut things up and then they force ingredients into a relationship with one another. That does not work. It will backfire more often than not. So that looks like a stepmom saying, hey, I know I'm not your mom, but call me mom anyway. Right. That That's a blender move. Don't Ooh, do that. Tough. Okay. You, you just said to the child, I just chopped up or cut up your real mom and I'm taking her place. Mm. That's not going to fly. All right. A crock pot is how you cook a step family. Mm. Crock pots, how do they work? Slow, really slow, and they use low heat. See, that's how you make a friend. You go and knock on the door and you wait on the, on the step until they talk to you and open the door and they let you in. That's slow. Uh, blenders are fast. You're forcing mm. your way in. That backfires. Uh, crock pot mentality is, um, hey, what term would you like to call me? Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with a lot of things. Let's you and I figure that out together. Mm-hmm. I'd like to call you this. When we're in public, is it okay if I introduce you as my daughter? Or is that too weird? Mm-hmm. Would you rather me call you your step, my stepdaughter? Mm-hmm. You know, co-create those realities with your family members and empower them to have a voice. And see, that's the big thing about kids. When they feel empowered they're more apt to move into the transition that is coming. Mm -hmm. But when they feel like all control has been stripped away again, because it's already happened once or twice or a hundred times in their life, um, then when control slipped away, they they don't want to get on board. They just want to get resist and angry and hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Robin, children who have some say in the process, like when you invite them into the dating process, for example, those kids on the back end, research is clear, are far more accepting of a step-parent and the new blended family and are more adaptable. Mm-hmm. Children who feel like I had no choice, nobody considered me, I've been left behind again, have far more resistance and are angry and are resentful about it. And the choice is so important for kids in, in so many different regards that it's not surprising to me that in this, in this situation, it's also vital. It's if and all of this applies, we gotta add this to adult children. Mm. Like I don't they're twenty five or they're thirty five, they're married, have a life of their own, a career and two kids. And mom at the age of seventy gets married again. Let me get tell you, they are just as concerned about mom's decision as a fifteen year old or a ten year old. Mm-hmm. They just have to work it out on an adult level, but their whole family identity is changing again, and they may or may not even had a choice in the matter. So mm-hmm. anytime you can bring them into it to some degree, uh, it, it helps on the back end. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That it, it, again, you're you're giving them some choice. You're bringing them along for the ride without su- doing the surprise knock and can just push yourself in. Yeah. Hey, I, I just thought of something else. It's related to COVID-19. I, mm. I think this is important. Again, one of the, the dynamics that takes place in a blended family is when stress arises, people tend to pull back into the insiders, the the, the biological family members mm. they came into the step family with. What what the world is experiencing right now with, with COVID-19 and um, social distancing is what happens in blended families all the time. Let me explain. Right now, all of us are in our home. I'm in my home. You're in your home. Um, 
when stress arises, if I can put it that way, when the climate gets harsh and dangerous, what have we done? We have retreated back into the most comfortable places, mm. the most safe people in our lives. In a blended family, when stress arises during the merging years, when you're trying to figure out how do you be a step parent, how do you enter their space, step siblings trying to figure out how to get along with one another, what we tend, what people do is they retreat back into the most comfortable and safe places and people in their lives, the most trusted relationships. We fall back into those places. That creates this social distance, if you will, within mm -hmm. the blended family. Mm. The adults are going, but wait, we're trying to merge. We're trying to move together, but stress is pulling us apart. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is a mm -hmm. challenging dynamic to try to manage. If you have a blender mentality as a parent or step parent, you're constantly trying to push people together. Yes. And what they need is a little break. Mm -hmm. When what they need is a little space and a little understanding. Solo it, time is so important for everybody. And also understanding that during a stressful time, a child is going to need to be with that safe parent so that they can deal with the other issues that are pressing on them that have nothing specifically to do with the family dynamic, but rather their own anxieties or their own needs of that particular day. Here's an example that translates into daily life. A child with stepmom has a great relationship and they get along well. And then that child goes visitation over to mom's house mm. and is there for the weekend or three or four days and does life over there. And then on the transition back into dad and stepmom's house, the child is distant from mm -hmm. the stepmom. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, the stepmom feels it like, wow, where'd you go? Like, mm -hmm. now you're giving me the cold shoulder. I thought everything was great. Well, no, let's just process what's going on for this child. They've just been with mom. They enjoyed it. They loved it. They love being with mom. And now it's hard. It's a loss to leave mom's house and come back over here. And it's not personal. It's not so much about you as it is about them just holding on to that relationship, but they can't hold on because the judge said they have to come back to your house and they're just sad about it. Mm -hmm. So instead of taking that personally, you know, find a way to give them a little space, I call it grace space, mm -hmm. <laughs> give them that moment, let them settle, um, find a way to, you might even acknowledge it. Hey, I get it. It's a little hard coming back over here. Let me know when you're ready. Mm -hmm. I, I think all of those are so important to make sure that they're feeling, they know that you get it. Yes. And then on top of that, you're giving them the space. You know, and again, being mature as an adult is really important here. You know, honestly, if you're fragile, <laughs> if you need this kid to approve of you, mm. to love you and give you what you've been looking for in order for you to be the right kind of leader in your home, that's not going to work real well because no. kids, you know, they're wrestling with a lot of stuff. You've got to rise above their hot, cold reactions and you got to just see it for what it is. Be a little patient, apply that crockpot patience and give them a little space and they might come around, might take a day. I don't know, you know, but you'll probably find they begin to warm up again and then you move forward with that. Now, they don't get to be disrespectful during right. that little day. They don't get to back talk or say kind, you know, mean things or not do their chores. You can still gently say, nope, you still got to clean your room, right. right? But just don't expect them to be happy about it no. or happy about you. Right. <laughs> Okay, so given that we're talking about the slow cooker, I'm still going to, I'm going to take a different metaphor around the same thing because I'm going, I want to do a little quick fire 
challenge here and just have you comment about what certain things mean that kids might say mm-hmm. and then quickly just how you might respond to that. Yeah, good. So let's say that a step parent is uh, frustrated with how a child is acting. You just mentioned that a child might like if they're talking back or being disrespectful. The mm-hmm. the the parent says the the stepdad or the stepmom says to the other person, um, "My kids never acted like this," or "Your daughter is 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 very rude," or "Your daughter your son is very irresponsible." What's your quick fire comment about that kind of conversation? Well, the first thing you try to do is put away your defensiveness mm-hmm. because what that activates in a biological parent often is two forms of defensiveness. You want to defend your child, number one, and number two, you kind of want to defend yourself. You mm-hmm. feel like they're also telling you you have not parented well. Mm-hmm. And so there's two full. You got you to put that down and stay focused on chase the pain, chase the pain in your spouse. So the step parent has just said that harsh thing. Okay. Um, all right. Sounds like you're upset. Do you mind telling me what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are you feeling? Uh, how does this make you feel? What's the pain here for you? Now, that's that's the moment of discipline, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to get defensive and just say, no, they're not. Da, 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 da. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not helpful, right? Chase your spouse's pain around this interaction with your child. It's more about that pain. And if they can come to understand it, you know, and, and that's the thing. A lot of us, as, I know this is true for kids, and I think it's very true for adults. We often don't even know what the pain is. And so when you ask that question, the step-parent hopefully could go, well, gosh, I just feel rejected again. You know, mm. she just won't let me in. I'm trying. I feel like I can't win for losing. And you're going, oh, okay, I get it. This is really hard. And again, you feel like an outsider. Yes, that's exactly what I feel like. Okay, I'm sorry. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that that's ultimately what you're after here. It's not about making the bed. It wasn't about her being late for breakfast. It's about her rejecting you. Okay, this is hard. Mm-hmm. Can okay. I give you a hug? You know, so you focus in on that, the other person's pain. Mm-hmm. Now we know what we're trying to, to talk okay. about. All right, let's give you another one. So let's imagine that you're hearing something like, mom, how did I do? Or how do I look at this? Or did you see how I made my bed? What is your child trying to tell you in that situation in terms of their love language? You know, one of the things Gary Chapman talks about is, is especially young kids, you can kind of pick up on what their love language is based on what they do for others and for you. Mm -hmm. So a child that goes fishing for compliments maybe that's showing you words of affirmation is their greatest need. Mm-hmm. How did you, did you notice this? Watch me. What? Now all young kids do that, but mm-hmm. as children move past the age of five, six, seven, if they continue doing that quite a bit, yep. look at the picture I drew. Yeah. That may be helping you figure out what their bullseye is. You can go to five lovelanguages.com and take the inventory in our book. We put one for parents, step parents, uh, kids, stepchildren, uh, but you can also just watch and listen and observe what a child does and what they dish out. And often that's that's helping you zero in on their love, love, love mm-hmm. language. All right. What about, Dad, why are you always looking at your phone? Mm. <laughs> well, um, that is a kid who's saying quality time. Mm-hmm. Really you important. Know, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, you know, look at me. Don't look at the phone. Be here with me. Be present with me. Um, again, I, let me just, I want to make this statement because sometimes I think we overstate it. 
all kids need all five love languages. Mm-hmm. But there's probably one or two that really rise to the top that, that speak most intimately to them. Mm. What about when you compliment your stepchild and your biological child gets quiet and brooding? Mm. What does that reveal and what should we say about it? I think that's um, perhaps a moment of jealousy. Mm-hmm. That's a moment of, um, that's a competing relationship. I just felt like you gave love and attention to them and not to me. It's it's not too unsimilar to what happens when um, a, a, an only child now has a baby brother mm-hmm. or sister, mm-hmm. and I'm not the only kid in the room anymore. And so they're a little jealous of their sibling. So I think what you when you notice that in your child, you can do something. I'm imagining you're making eye contact with a stepchild and giving them a compliment, and you feel the brooding going on with your child off to the side. Do something just in that moment. Don't break eye contact necessarily. Don't stop the moment with giving the compliment. But you might just reach out and touch your child mm. as if to say, I, I still see you. Mm-hmm. It's it's something, it's subtle, it's soft. And then, I don't know, 10 minutes later, five minutes later, you, you find a little way to connect with them. Uh, so you're not taking away from the moment that you're creating with the stepchild, but at the same time, you are trying to recognize that there's a need over going on over here with this child. Okay. These were really helpful. I just think that those are some common situations that might happen really in anybody's family. Yeah. At this point, I'd love to get your top tip. After everything that we talked about today, what do you hope is the top takeaway that parents are getting from hearing what you're saying today? Getting step family smart really makes a difference. Coming to understand the dynamics going on in your home, the nature of the relationships, and what's unique and challenging about blended families helps you get over those hurdles and move your family down the road. I think for a lot of people, um, the crock pot doesn't cook fast enough. Mm. And they get so frustrated that they hop out of the pot and say, I'm done. Right. I mean, there is a and reason, they get the Robin, blender. They do. They go get the blender or they just quit. I mean, mm-hmm. there is a reason the divorce rating in blended families is higher than it is in first mm. families. And it's because of this cooking process. It's challenging. It's difficult. It's slow. It's like, I don't know what's expected of me. I'm trying to figure this out. Nah, I'm done. Well, you know what? Um, when you do that, you're just going to get more of what you've had. And that is, you know, loneliness and being by yourself and back to single parenting. I I think there are so many rewards that are possible for blended families. Let me tell you, blended families can be just as strong and healthy as biological families, but it takes time to get there. I love to say it this way. There is a honeymoon for remarried couples. It just comes at the end of the journey and not at the beginning. And so you have to press through be patient. Get smart about what's going on in your family and don't give up. Mm, that's a great top tip. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and all the work you're doing? I work with a number of uh, organizations, some mine, some with others. Uh, if you go to rondeal.org, rondeal.org, you will have a portal to all of it. Podcast, video, we do online live streams, uh, books, resources, video curriculum for small groups, on and on and on. You'll be able to have access to all of it, rondeal.org. 
It's awesome. Ron, I loved interviewing you today. I'm so glad you joined us. I really love what you said about blended families, but I also really feel like a lot of what you've said applies to all families and how they interact and the ways that they can love one uh, one another uh, by understanding what the other person needs and really putting away their own self, you know, their selfishness and really focusing on how they can best love each other for everybody to feel like they're valued and important. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. And guess what? We are going to be doing a giveaway for this book, Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart. And I'm so excited about this uh, giveaway. So you're going to go up to Instagram and you're going to go up to Facebook and you'll write to me about how, what was the thing that really struck you about our conversation today? What is something that you're going to use in your family that's really going to help bring your family to the next level, and you will be entered in to the giveaway. I have two of them that I'm giving away, so definitely do that under Dr. Robin Silverman on Facebook or on Twitter. You can do it at Dr. Robin or on Instagram on Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be putting a post up. And I'll be creating some memes based on what we heard today, because Ron said so many great things. We're going to use those for notable quotables. We'll put them on a meme. You can share them with your friends. You can share them with your family. You can put them on social media so that everybody can see them and really get some more information about this podcast and they can listen to them, listen to it themselves. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn about these outstanding solutions and how they can use them in their own homes and families. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when things fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. And on those days when you fall short, and you know we all have them, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today and you thought, oh gosh, I, I totally made a blunder. I didn't do it that way. I've been doing it this other way and I've totally messed things up. You can do it differently tomorrow. You can always do it differently in the next moment. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.